0: The following program is paid for by Colorado Business Roundtable. From the Colorado Business Roundtable studios in Denver, you're listening to the voice of the Colorado Business Roundtable, focusing on issues around business, policy, and education with leaders across local, national, and international communities, making a difference and driving business success. This is Connect and Collaborate on KDMT, Denver's Money Talk, 1690 AM.
1: Welcome to Connected Collaborate. I am Alex Hopkins, your on air producer. And uh, today we are talking redefining rural, and this show is sponsored by CSU Global. And I have a treat for my audience today. Um, the exciting thing is, is that we're starting a new series, and it is called Redefining Rural. Um, As most of our audience knows, we we touch on a lot of issues that hit in the metro Denver area, Um, but we are the Colorado Business Roundtable, and so we can't forget our rural parts here in Colorado, so I'm excited to have some guests in studio. Michelle Murphy is the Executive Director with the Colorado Rural Schools Alliance. Kirk Banghart is the Chief Facilitator for Colorado Rural Education Collaborative, and Danielle Platt is with Rural Services at Colorado Department of Education. So thank you very much for joining me today, you guys. How are you?
0: Good, excited, fantastic.
1: Awesome, great answers, love you, (laughs) great answers. Um, So one of the things that I do with all of my guests when I get in here, and particularly because we are starting this brand new series with you guys, uh, which I'm excited to see where we go, um, I like to let my audience get an intro and background from each of my guests. Um, This is kind of a way for you to... uh, brag a little bit about yourselves, you know, your accomplishments in the field, as well as uh, letting people know why you're such an expert on what you do. So I'm going to start here with you, Michelle, if you don't mind um, giving yourself a little pat on the back today. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we'll start with your college and why ultimately you wanted to end up in um, working in education, uh, but also uh, any kind of uh, information you have about why rural is so important and focusing on that.
2: That's a big question. It is a big question. <laughs> lots of parts. Well, yeah, small. lots of parts and pieces. So um, I'm an attorney. I grew up in New York. There is nothing rural about me except, as I like to say, my bleeding heart. Um, and that is true. Um, I went to college in Washington, D.C. I've been interested in public policy and political science for as long as I can remember. Um, left DC, practiced, worked a little bit on Capitol Hill, and then went back to get a master's in social work, feeling like I needed to be a little bit closer to it. I always had a passion and an interest in working with kids. That was really clear to me. So I did, um, the social work path, which brought me back out to Colorado and the University of Denver. And, um practiced a little bit in the schools. I worked in Boulder Valley and St. Brain, and that wasn't wasn't quite a fit either. Went back to law school uh, following in my mother's footsteps and tried desperately to be a real estate lawyer and make a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) That didn't work either. And then I found uh, the Colorado Association of School Boards and did some work with them. And that sort of started my trajectory to um, working on K-12 education policy and being a school law attorney as well. And long story short, there was an opening at the Colorado Rural Schools Alliance, and uh, to be quite honest, nobody else wanted the job. (laughs) I couldn't let the organization die because I knew that the rural voice was too important, and so here I am, I think, four years later.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Well, that's a great background. Um, and you you mentioned that the, the being a, re, a real estate lawyer didn't work out. And I, I am a firm believer that if you're not passionate about what you do, it, you're going to have a hard time starting any career just for money. Um, there are people out there, not going to lie, obviously, that are out just for money. But it's my belief that if your heart's not in it, it's just not a good fit.
2: Well, and the beauty of practicing school law is I get to do real estate law and constitutional law and human resources law and all of those pieces, so it actually, but absolutely right. I know there is a, a passion space for rural, and I think as, as our uh, listeners start to hear more about what happens in rural, meet more of, uh, hear more about the exciting things in rural, they'll agree. Yeah. It's, a, it's addicting.
1: It is, I would imagine, yes, yeah. for sure, I, and uh, not a lot of people know this. I don't mention it very much, but I did grow up in a very small hometown in Indiana, so I mean drive your tractor to school day right so i got a little place in my heart for rural too mm-hmm. love the city love where i am but i'm super excited to get the word out with you guys uh kirk i'm going to turn here to you and let you have your turn on uh some bragging and why why rural education means so much to you
0: sure absolutely so i'm I'm a colorado native um and so grew up here in colorado college at at fort lewis and, and Adams state um then became was have been a classroom teacher in the elementary and middle school levels became an assistant principal and principal, and then a director of teaching and learning. And then I've been a superintendent for seven years in the San Luis Valley. And so a couple of years ago, I transitioned out of that position into being the chief facilitator of the rural school uh, collaborative. So that's been kind of my trajectory as I've gone, most of those have all been in rural settings. And so I I sure enjoy um, our rural parts of the state and the people that are, are there. So that's kind of my background
1: awesome well i have to so you went from teacher to superintendent so you went from the teaching side to the administrative side um, is your name on a blacklist somewhere? Do teachers have an issue with you? Is that...
3: I do tell
0: people I'm a recovering superintendent. So, yeah. But it, it's always been a, a, an interesting trajectory because I tell people, like, you know, I started as a teacher and said there's no way I would become an assistant principal. became an assistant principal and said, well, there's no way I'll be a principal. And then I became a principal. And then the same thing for superintendent. And so that I just keep – now I never say I'm not going to do something. Somehow you, you end up where you don't think you're going to be. So.
1: Oh, absolutely. Well. Well, and so I obviously you said you would never do those things, and you got into them anyway. I imagine moving through those ranks, you. Feel um, more and more power to be able to help the staff and the students, right? I,
0: I think that's really the reason why that came about is that when you when you're in systems, um, for me personally, you're always looking at how you can improve and, and move them along, and so the ability to do that, you you move into positions where you can actually make an impact on some of the systems processes that you see. Um, one of the fun things about rural schools is that you still get a connection with kids. Um, you know, a lot of our larger colleagues. One of the hard parts is is assistant superintendent or superintendent you may not get to see kids very often when you're in small rural schools my office was in a school so you get to see kids every day I always joke that one of the schools that that I we built through the best program which I'm sure at some point we'll talk more about but it was a fantastic opportunity for a small community to build a school but we built it with my window looking onto the preschool playground and so I always used to tell people I did it on purpose because when the days were really stressful <laughs> I could stop turn look at the the itty bitties and just smile so oh, it's always been nice
1: that is really nice did you did you ever get to go play with it i would have to if i saw a swing i'd be like that's it. <laughs> that's where i'm having lunch today <laughs>
2: absolutely, absolutely.
1: <laughs> wonderful and danielle tell us a little bit about yourself and uh how you got involved in... yeah so like
3: yeah. kirk i'm a native coloradan i grew up in southern colorado attended Honey high school 24 kids in my graduating class so really small Um, After that, I attended Adams State University. I never really thought I would go into education. I didn't see it as a career path at all. And so I, um, but I did end up on a pathway to become a teacher. I taught kindergarten, first grade, second grade. I taught for about seven years before I transitioned um, to becoming a Title One teacher. I was an elementary principal and then I assumed superintendent duties um, in addition to my principal role. So I did a couple of years of that and actually worked in Kirk's role for a year before I came over to the department. And I've been here now for almost two years at the Department of Education and I just realized driving over here, I think I have almost 17 years in education already. So it goes by in a flash. It just seems like all of those things are just a blur and But yeah, it's great. I have two boys. um, They're 8 and 10. They're um, in a small school themselves like Kirk's um, son is. And so it's just it's great being so connected to them. And I had the pleasure when they were a lot smaller to be in the same building with them. And so we um, got to have lunch together and be on the playground together and all of those great things. So definitely been um, a blessing.
1: Oh, absolutely. So you're at the Department of Education, and I know that there are several different areas within the department that you could have <laughs> gone to, but what what called you to rural services particularly?
3: Well, um, you know, just being in the role of um, facilitating the collaborative and having all of those connections statewide to all of our rural districts, it just seemed like a really natural fit. Um, As a superintendent, I had a strong network of leaders across the state already, and so um, just really thinking about how we can um, support and bring more resources um, to that part of the field was really important to me, and so it just seemed like something that I was just meant to do, and so... That's why I'm there.
1: I love it. And uh, you know, one of my favorite thing is when I get educators in here, you guys all have that passionate voice. Um, It's the one industry I can always count on. That you guys use your hearts more than your heads sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> um, possibly. Yes, <laughs> and I meant that as a compliment for the rest. One of <laughs> 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 I did mean that as a compliment. I promise. Um, but while I'm here with you, Danielle, I'm going to have you go ahead and give a background about the rural services at the okay. Colorado yeah, Department.
3: Sure. Yeah. Well, I think it's important for people to understand, or at least have some awareness around what rural actually looks like in our state, um, because a lot of people don't realize it. Um, so basically, in the state of Colorado, we have 178 school districts we have 146 of those that are designated as rural or small rural and so that definition actually came about in 2013 that was part of the work of the Rural Education Council which is um, led by the commissioner and so um, that came about back then and so we're still using that definition to identify schools as rural and small rural Um, Within that now, we have about 44 leaders across our state who are classified as dual-role superintendents. So that means that they're doing the job of both a principal and a superintendent or as we all know, lots of other things, um, which could include bus driving, um, being a part-time teacher um, and lots of other duties. And so 44 of those leaders across our state. And we also have 60 districts that are housed on one campus K-12. So when we're thinking about school districts, you think of a lot of different schools within the district, but we have 60 of them that have one K-12, one campus. Um, across the state as well and so in my role at the department I get to work both internally and in the field to um, really be be a two-way connector um, to help not only people at the department understand the perspective of the rural school districts and to work on how we can better support them um, but also helping support those people in the field and coming alongside them in terms of support being a thought partner working together on different projects programs initiatives whatever it may be but i think one of the other great parts of what i get to do is connect with people like michelle and kirk um, and really a lot of different organizations and agencies to help um, lots of folks understand the rural perspective but also to um, Um, really build our partnerships. And I think one of the things that I'm sure we'll get to um, in our journey through this podcast is just talking about how important those relationships are. And I think from our perspective, um, we're always focused on people. Um, Education is um, really important because we're dealing with kids. We're dealing with people that, um, you know, it's just really, really important. And so that's the heart of the work that I do at CDE. Awesome. Just a few
1: clarifying questions here. Do you mind defining rural, rural versus small rural? Sure. Yeah.
3: yeah. So within the rural definition, um, there are a couple of different pieces of criteria. So in order to be designated as rural, a district's um, student enrollment has to be 6,500 or fewer students. For a small rural, that would be 1,000 or less. And we also take into account the geographic location and the distance from an urban center. And that's defined by the National Center for um, Education Statistics. So it's um, basically a two-part definition of student enrollment and also distance from an urban center. Interesting. Um,
1: And I I I want to ask too, I, I don't know if I'm on the right path with this, but you mentioned that some people have to take multiple roles, right? Your principals mm-hmm. that also act as superintendents. Is that simply because um, it's just a smaller school in general, or is that because there's a lack of
3: people going into education these days, or maybe a mixture? So I think it's a both and. I, I think it really depends on what the local community priorities are and what their values are, but also um, it has to do with efficiency and the way that they can um, make that school um, be the best it can be. So So um, I think it it really depends on the makeup um, and how um, different people's skill sets come into play, but some of the districts have been structured like that for a really long time, and some of them um, in the past decade or so have restructured into incorporating that multiple-role approach. So I think it really depends. Um, And one thing, too, that I forgot to mention, or maybe I did mention it, was that 80% of our districts in the state are classified as rural or small rural, Um, and they make about make up about 20 percent of our total student population across the state interesting Mm -hmm. wow that's
1: yeah what a great statistic i appreciate you sharing that and i don't think there's anything wrong quite obviously if you have a principal that can do both principal and superintendent roles and get the job done well wonderful um i definitely believe we still need more people going into education for sure as i'm sure you all would agree with that um but interesting to hear 80 percent of the school districts in colorado are defined as rural or small rural and they per, they account for 20 percent of the student population
3: yeah i think it's. I, I don't think many people realize that right
1: yeah i had no idea thank you for that uh i'm going to turn here to you kirk to give me a little bit of background about the colorado rural education collaborative how did that get started its founding what's going on today
0: so the, the collaborative came together because we had multiple districts, and Daniil was part of this at the inception, but the, we had districts that were coming together that saying we need, really need to leverage um, our combined efficacy to make an impact on what's going on. And so they came together, and the, the Rural Collaborative was created. And so I stepped into that role two years ago. And so out of that, the founding superintendents really looked at what were those key areas that they felt like collaboration could really help and make an impact in in what they were doing. And so currently we have... Six different what we call Genesis groups or focus areas that we look at that were were really came from the superintendents. Currently, the collaborative is sixty-one school districts that, uh, that have come together, and so we look at these different areas. And some of those areas include things like teacher recruitment and retention. And as you were mentioning earlier, this is one of our major concerns for the rural areas: is, is how do we get effective teachers and then keep them educated and and making an impact on students? Uh, we also look at teacher leader efficacy and making sure that they have the skills. We do another area that's STEM education, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. We also focus on social emotional learning and trying to provide students and school districts with the skills around to make sure that they can deal with with what's going on in their own lives and the impacts (laughs) that do that. Um, we also focus on career and college readiness and making sure that school districts and BOCES have have a good solid process in which to help kids look to what their future looks like and how they can make a living both in their community or if they choose to leave what that they they're ready to to join the workforce and other uh, other focus so those are kind of our areas that that we focus on Um, at the collaboration came apart I think we've been in existence for six years now Um, I've been for two and then we have some national partners that we work with as well and so there's 14 school collaboratives um like ours for rural across the country so we also work at a, a national to try to leverage what other people are doing in other states
1: Ooh, fun yeah, yeah i like being i see the co collaboration's the name of the game guys <laughs> i love that um colorado is amazing at doing that uh, collaboration is one thing that we're awesome at across industries, right? Because if somebody's doing something right and getting great results out of it, why not copycat a little bit off their model, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I love that you said career and college readiness, right? Because we've been under this mentality for a really long time that you have to go get a four-year degree right after school. Um, I, you know, places like Australia and London, uh, London, England, right? The EU, they really focus on letting their students have that gap year right after they graduate their K through 12 equivalent, what, and what have you, um, they they really push the students at 18 years old to go see the world a little bit or decide if you wanna go right into the workforce and into college. And we've really pushed that at uh, the, uh, the four year agenda. Uh, and I think we're seeing uh, that that's not always where everyone needs to be. Not everyone has that path cut out for them. So I love that you're focusing on both career and college. Um, has that always been a part of your plan or is that something that's recently come about?
0: Well, I think it's as rural looks, one of the things that we've seen is really the brain drain out of our communities to the I-70, I-25 corridor. And so I think a lot of the community school boards, the business development have really looked and being able to say, we need to make sure that we have the space for kids so that our communities aren't fading away. And so I think that's always been something that Rural has looked at and it's done actually fairly well when we come to the career and technical education side of what we do. But I think what we're looking and trying to help support is how do we make the processes make place or put in place so that all school districts, all BOCES have a good process to really help support kids so that they can make that choice. And for some kids, as you said, it's, it actually is a good fit to go into the I-70, I-25, right corridor but for others they want to stay back and we want to make sure that they're productive in what they do and they have the right skill sets to be able to be productive for their communities so that's the focus that we've seen from our superintendents and our BOCES directors and so that's why it's been part of what we've taken on and worked with philanthropy to try to to bring together
1: awesome that is lovely to hear and and just a background about myself I didn't go that career path I didn't do the four-year degree thing I didn't get an associate's degree until I was 30 right it's it's not for everyone, and I fully support whatever path you need. Um, and I love that educators more and more are honing in on that. Businesses are now finally mm-hmm. getting involved, right? And even at the, as, as early as pre-K, right, let's, let's figure out a little bit of path here. Um, so I'm going to turn back here to you, Michelle, if you don't mind giving us a little background on Colorado Rural Schools Alliance
2: so the alliance it's easier to just call it the alliance the alliance (laughs) thank you yes the alliance was formed um as the rural caucus i want to say in like 2003 by a group of rural superintendents and school board members who didn't feel like our larger advocacy organization and that's primarily what we are uh in the larger sense of the word didn't think those organizations were speaking the rural truth you know um while 80% of our school districts are rural. That other 20% of those large urban districts really kind of cow- carry the power and the voice, uh, or used to. So <laughs> the Alliance was formed to bring the rural voice uh, into perspective at the capital, at the state level. And probably 2013, they always existed as a subsidiary of... Um, The Colorado Association of School Boards, 2013, Kirk was on the board at that point. He forgot to mention he used to be my boss. (laughs) Um, And um, they created their own organization, their own board, and they um, really stepped out. I took over, I want to say, in 2015, and we got a lobbyist at the Capitol, and we started really banging that rural drum loud and clear. And, um, you know, Daniil's position and the um, rural council that we have referenced and probably will reference going forward, that all comes out of uh, what was then the rural caucus voice and sort of this opportunity to really increase awareness about uh, rural needs. Awesome. Yeah.
1: I love hearing that. And I, you guys are bringing such um, big initiatives and alliances and collaboratives together uh, to really focus. And and you guys have some really unique challenges and opportunities in the rural sector, which we're going to get into in the next segment. Um, We've got a few minutes left in this segment. So what I want to focus on is um, specifically why you teamed up to do this podcast. Right. And I know that's kind of a weird question, um, but it was, it's, it was necessary to do this you need to get the word out right so um whomever would like to start on uh what your initial thoughts were for starting this podcast
2: well, I can speak to you why we teamed up, right? And then I think I would give it to Daniil. <laughs> the, the podcast was sort of her brainchild and the Alliance board really feeling like, we knew that we couldn't get this work done alone. And our we all have the same membership, so to speak. Every single one of Kirk's members are my members. Daniil serves all the rural districts in the state. And we have other associations um, that we work with who also have same membership. And when we silo our work, as in any industry, it's uh, redundant, it's frustrating, it's confusing, and school district budgets are very small, and they look to us to say, how are you making the most of my money? I mean, why should I give you pay for, you pay dues to your organization or put time into that? Um, and so we all, it wasn't always the case, but we all now have, all, most of our organizations have come to that table to say, yes, let's do collaborate. Competition doesn't work, collaboration does. And we have been looking forever to for ways to get the word out both within rural communities. The Alliance's primary mission is around increasing opportunities for rural students and communities. The only way to do that is to help people know what is out there and what can be possible. And so um, our collective voice has helped us to do that because we all speak each other's truths and tell each other's stories and share. Um, and then the podcast came along as just a way to reach a broader audience and bring you know, some of your members and bring biz, get business anybody any industry that gets excited about spreading the word and getting out to rural because they love that work and their employees love that work so really you know, i said i would give it to daniel so i will <laughs> there's so much i yeah. don't even know where to start yeah
3: so you know as michelle said we've been working together for a really long time and so we have this little group of road warriors right that we are traveling to all these meetings we get to um talk to each other on a weekly basis basically and so um, we're always thinking about different ways that we can share what's happening. Um, we get to see it because we're going to all of these areas and we're seeing the great work that's happening. But for um, on a larger scale, um, nobody really knows what's going on out there unless you know, you're know you collaborating within your BOCES or at some of our state conferences. And I think in education, we've been really, really good at um, educating each other and everyone within our community. Um, uh, industry knows what's what's happening um, on some level, but I think outside of that, a lot of people really don't know. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, in rural, yes, we have a lot of um, obstacles, but we have a lot of opportunities as well. And I think that's part of the reason why we wanted to go with the redefining rural um, name. We really are. Um, allowing people to talk about how they have redefined what it means to live and work in a rural community. And I think we ultimately just want to bring awareness and some education and help people understand the rural perspective. Um, Yeah, so it's really, really exciting. That is awesome. We're going to take a quick
1: break here on Connect and Collaborate, Um, and we're going to find out more about those unique challenges and opportunities that are offered in the rural space. Stay with us here on Connect and Collaborate. Be sure to like and subscribe our YouTube page while you're here. You can find this podcast for on cobrt.com slash radio slash podcast. We'll be right
0: back. Now back to Connect and Collaborate, voice of the Colorado Business Roundtable. On KDMT, Denver's Money Talk, 1690 AM.
1: Welcome back to Connect and Collaborate. Once again, I'm Alex Hopkins, your on-air producer. And today's episode is Redefining Rural. And I have Michelle Murphy with me, as well as Kirk Banghart and La Platt. And uh, we had a great conversation in the last segment. Um, we got to know all of you a little bit better, as well as all of your organizations. Again, that is The Alliance. The Collaborative and Rural Services at Colorado Department of Education. Um, and so we took off in the last episode talking about why we wanted to do this podcast. And one of the things about it is that uh, the rural community in Colorado, and I would imagine really anywhere in the country, um, There are some unique challenges and unique opportunities that are uh, present in the rural community. Um, So I want to jump right into that, if you guys don't mind. Uh, But actually, before I do that, I wrote down, uh, you guys kept mentioning BOCES, uh, which is a word I wasn't familiar with, and uh, I would like
3: to know what that is, actually. So, Daniil. Oh, okay. So our <laughs> BOCES are Boards of Cooperative Educational Services, and they exist to um, support basically regional consortiums of school districts. And so in our state, we have um, 21 different BOCES. They are all um, different as far as what they can provide to their member districts, but basically... Um, they serve as their district's administrative unit so that means they're working on all of the special education side they're hiring all of the special service providers that they then deploy to all of the school districts and they're basically a way for our districts to come together leverage resources um, and share basically personnel and services and so BOCES can provide lots of different things many of them provide professional development for their member districts and it just really depends on what the values and priorities are for those districts as and then as far as what that BOCES offers Um, so they can be very different Um, but for the most part they're the ones that are um, providing the special education services for their regional school districts. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you taking some time out to define that for me. And uh, yeah, it was an acronym, not a word. So good to know. Good to know. (laughs) I think um, other states refer to them as regional service centers, and there are other models in different states that are similar to the BOSIs that we have here.
1: Cool. Okay. So I I like that. Yes. Um, So moving on to these uh, challenges and opportunities, uh, I I got a statistic from Kirk here on the break. Seventy uh, percent of kids that are in rural communities um, tend to want to stay or want to come back to rural communities, right?
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. When 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 kids are surveyed and asked would they come back to their communities, kids from rural, about seventy percent of them always come back and say yes we'd like to if the opportunity was there for them to do that and so we know that the lifestyle that is provided in rural is something that not only parents enjoy but that kids see and value um, for their communities and so I think part of what we we see as as the challenge and the opportunity is making sure that we have those opportunities for them to come back and that communities are are ready to then support uh, students and young adults when they come back to into the communities and have the opportunities so that they can t- continue to thrive in that area
1: All right um i want to i want to take a moment here and talk about um coming back right and so a lot of times typically what happens is that these students uh, will go and seek universities Mm -hmm. right and more metro areas throughout Colorado uh, and then come back after they've received their education or perhaps they get into the workforce out in the metro areas and then come back to the rural communities Um, but the goal is to make sure they just stay in the rural community to begin with it's clear that the they're where they want to make their lives right Um, so let's keep them there the whole time
2: well, I think it's about providing them options. Yeah. If you want yeah. to go, absolutely go spread your wings. Come back um, if you want to. Or if you don't want to go, here's some opportunities that you can do right here at home. Um and you know we're really trying to we'll talk more I think about the great shortage of both teachers but also special service providers as Danielle referred to before our school psychologists our behavioral health providers even our speech language pathologists physical therapists all of those things that our kids um, not only are required the districts are required by law to provide but all of our students need to access in one form or another so it's really about how do we get kids excited about providing those roles in their communities. Well, there's being a nurse, a social worker. Uh, those are really exciting jobs. We were in Ure the other day. And we talked to a young man. I mean, he, everyone's young to me, but he might have been 25 years old. Maybe he was 35. Social worker, really excited about animal-assisted therapies. And all of us are getting to, like, how do we get more of you? What brought you to the profession? And how do we um, get kids excited more locally about those opportunities, whether they go away to school to earn that, uh, the necessary degrees, or how also can we partner with our local community colleges and let them uh, and we're seeing cool things mm-hmm. happening around the state in that mm-hmm. regard. So they never have to leave, and they can get a four-year degree right there at home.
3: Well, I was going to say, speaking of partnerships, I think our districts are doing a great job of of looking at multiple options and pathways for kids. So we have so many different programs um, and ways that kids can go on multiple tracks. Um, districts, many of them, uh, many. There are a ton of uh, districts offering concurrent enrollment, dual enrollment types of classes where kids are earning college credit. They're getting industry certification. We have so many examples of that that we could share across the state. But I think the partnerships with our IHEs have been huge. So um, institutions of higher ed, (laughs) another one. Um, So basically, um, we've uh, through the Colorado Center for Rural Education, they were able to fund some mini grants for partnerships between districts and the IEGs. And so um, we've just seen so many incredible partnerships that have taken shape in the past couple of years on a variety of different things. It was pretty much wide open. And so the districts and um, the universities came together to think about how they could best serve their student populations. And out of that, we've seen lots of different projects that have come about. Um, so a lot of great work happening there as well. Cool.
2: We sort of talk about it as grow your own, where, and they're all different pathways. There's no one way to do that, but so that you can identify the kids early on who may want to serve in these roles and get them excited and give them the opportunity to do it.
1: Awesome. You guys keep throwing uh, the word partnership around a lot, which is exciting stuff. And it's one thing that Colorado Business Roundtable is uh, very supportive of are partnerships, particularly between education and business, Um, education, uh, both uh, pre-K through 12, and, higher education, right? Those partnerships are super important. Um, How does one come about getting a partnership with perhaps the Alliance or the Collaborative?
0: So I, I think anytime we look at partnership, we look at what is what is the ability for synergy to take place and, and leverage what we all do. And I think that for the three of us, we we look at it that we know we kind of tackle different components of the bigger problem, right? So we have we have the policy side, we have implementation side, we have um, regulation side. Like those are all pieces that we like to do. And so I think as we look at partners, part of it is saying what is the mutual. The benefit that each one of us can get anybody we bring in and then us as organizations could do so I think a lot of times that's kind of the focus that we have is that we say this isn't something where it's me 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 and, and what's going to benefit my organization we look at that mutual symbiotic relationship because we're really all looking to impact the same group of children the same group of teachers same group of of school districts and communities so i think that's part of what we look like i know look for i know for all of our organizations if anyone's interested in and coming and joining reach out to us we're we're happy like we said i think we look for partners we have a lot of projects that we're doing that we have other partners i think as Danielle talked about we have we we're working with business we're working with higher ed there's lots of places that we try to say how can we get get other people's you know get people the thought partners in the room to have those conversations because it's amazing what we can learn from other industries and what other industries can learn from what education has done
3: well and and i think oh go ahead I think it goes back to capacity Um, that was one of your questions in the beginning when we're talking about our dual role leaders is it due to capacity and um, so much of it in our rural districts is due to capacity Um, we know that we can't do this work alone and we can do much more together than we could ever do separately and so I think just in the past few years I think we've just seen this major shift across our work anyway and we've been able to come together in a way that I don't think we ever have before to help each other to really think about thought partnership and think about about ways, um, creative implementation, and just different things we can do to basically move the needle for everybody. Um, So I think so far we've been really successful and we're just really looking forward to including more people and hopefully like through this podcast we can reach a broader audience and find those people who are interested in um, getting more involved and learning more about it um, to increase our capacity further
2: yeah i think we're seeing great examples most of it funded uh... foundationally and by the legislature i need to say our state legislature has been incredibly generous to rural schools and communities uh... over the last years and helping us to figure out um, how to uh, leverage these partnerships state at the state and local level to be able to better serve our kids. There's a ton of opportunities um, for some of your listeners that are interested in either uh, serving, w- one of the biggest pieces is internship opportunities. I think we all know about career wise and the great opportunities we're providing for kids in the urban and suburban areas primarily and getting uh, an internship model. And I know Kirk is doing a lot of great work in this regard, um, getting an internship model that works in rural schools. You don't have to be in Holyoke to serve a kid. In holyoke if you're able to um you know we do have broadband mostly throughout the state now that's one thing we've tackled it's too expensive in most of our areas but we're working on that too um and so if your listeners are interested in any way shape or form at any time in connecting with the districts and kids or the boces is often the space through which this work happens to any one of us can get them in touch
1: Awesome, any other unique challenges? Uh, You mentioned briefly on the broadband thing, uh, which we are slowly taking care of. I think we're getting there. Um, uh, So that one's kind of been tackled, not completely yet, but we'll get there on that. Uh, What would you say is another unique challenge um, that you have or perhaps a unique opportunity instead?
0: So I, I think one of the things that we see as a challenge is around teacher recruitment and teacher shortage. And I think the opportunity we have is is some of these areas of being able to really highlight why rural lifestyle is such a positive experience for folks and so we have we've had some projects where we've been able to take college kids um who are looking to enter the workforce and get them to see what it looks like to be in rural it's it does it's not mayberry right (laughs) there it looks different and each of those communities look different i mean the eastern plains we have a lot of different what we call rural right so we have resort rural we have the eastern slope western slope we have lots of different rural and each one of them has their own character and so i think what we find is exciting is when you get kids that who are ready to start their their careers gets to see other areas than just what they've seen in the metro area, they start to really appreciate what is available in small communities to do that. So I think that's one of the, it's been very exciting to see people embrace what the advantages of living in a rural community and and what that looks like. Uh, The other things we see is that within rural schools there's a lot more positive autonomy for educators. And so it allows them the ability to do why many people get into the profession, where unfortunately, I think sometimes we see in for our colleagues in the urban area that that focus of control has to be a lot tighter. Than it is in the rural and so people really see that as a positive is to be able to work individually small class sizes or something that that teachers really enjoy to be able to work one-on-one with kids and so you're really able to get to know your students and be part of their lives uh, it's amazing you go to the basketball games and how many you know kids are excited to see their teachers and teachers are very vested in kids outside of school and in, inside of school and so i think those are some of the things that we bring have brought forward to students to understand what rural lifestyle looks like and how exciting it could be to be a part of it. And so I think that's both both a challenge and a, and a success that we're seeing in the rural space. You guys want to add
3: well, I, opportunities?
1: Yeah. Well, I would say one of the nice things about uh, rural communities, I think I heard a statistic that in some areas in Colorado, it's nine people per square mile, which sounds Amazing when I'm going home on a Friday <laughs> afternoon on I-25, I-70, right? That's that's a unique opportunity that I think a lot of people would be interested in, particularly because um, Colorado, as we know, is getting more and more populated, but mostly in the metro areas. So if you are looking for a career in Colorado and you want to be a teacher, go for the rural areas, right? You have more space to spread out. There's more land you can buy. It's a little bit cheaper to live out in those areas,
2: Though um, so I probably shouldn't say this, we do have a sort of a critical <laughs> housing shortage in many of our rural communities. Oh, okay. Whether sort of in our resort rural um, folks can't, teachers can't afford to live in their own communities because teacher salaries are woefully, uh, woefully low. Um, or sort of the more common on the eastern plains or in the southeast is we just don't have the housing stock. Um, when folks come out so there's been some really interesting um, opportunities created by that as well in terms of partnerships with habitat for humanity and other um, builders to come in and create teacher housing that is either school sponsored or teachers can get a uh... discounted mortgage all sorts of really cool things put in place okay. we need to pay our teachers dramatically more that's, that's hands line, down however one
1: hundred percent and not just in colorado that is a national problem as well Um but we care about Colorado very much yes. here. And so I, I 1000% agree with you. Um, that is something that we desperately need to change fix. Um, and I know that we're trying to get there. There's, there was some legislation in place. We'll see. Um, hopefully we see more, uh, for teachers in the long run. Um, other, other opportunities that we offer for kids. Um, particularly I, I, I want to focus here. Um, cause we do talk a lot about, uh, college-age kids or kids that are leaving the uh, K through 12 space. Um, let's talk about some unique opportunities for the younger ones, perhaps pre-K opportunities that we have, maybe.
2: Well, you know, we Colorado just passed full-day kindergarten. Rural schools have been providing full-day kindergarten at no cost to parents since basically the beginning <laughs> of I time. <laughs> right. I remember being in a meeting years ago at the School Board Association with uh, urban and rural superintendents, and When a rural superintendent learned that the I think I don't remember which big district it was was charging parents for kindergarten, it was hysterical. You can do that? What? (laughs) It was it was Pat Brzezinski which is why I'm talking like that because he does talk like that. Um, And yeah, so we've been doing that since the beginning of the time. And when they said, "Well, you could charge," I said, "Why would we charge? You should be kids should be in kindergarten full day." So um, I think that's one place where we certainly led the curve. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, well, it's a great model for everyone else to look at, and I was I was shocked. It was one of the things that I learned when I moved to Colorado. I didn't realize that there was that there were places that didn't have all day kindergarten. Yeah, my parents couldn't wait for me to go. I was the baby of the family. They were ready. It's no, you're going eight hours. Right, we're done. <laughs> so yeah, I I love that you get. I'm sure lots of people are modeling off of that. Is do you get calls about that? About uh, how you've run that and how it works uh, in the rural communities and how they can bring that to the metro area.
2: Well, we are bringing it to the metro area. It's happening. Right? Yeah, and it was money, I think, was what mm-hmm. is so up in the case. Um, I haven't gotten any calls about that. No. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. No. I, did, I didn't. I didn't. I think. I think overall, what we see is that the rural has been able to overcome some of the challenges that parents have fears around for their itty-bitty. So when you look at at, at five-year-olds and say, could they be in a school for a whole day? Rural does a really good job of saying, what is the balance of The drive for for the academics and making sure that kids have exposure to early language, early numeracy, those kind of things. But also recognizing that they still need play and they need to be the socialization. And I know Danielle can talk more about from her kindergarten background that a lot of it is helping kids understand how to do school. And so it's really fantastic, I think, the balance that we see in our rural schools. Again, going back to that family feel kind of thing is that the small class sizes allow kindergarten teachers to really – Treat their children as if they're the they're their children, yeah. and so they the activities that go on. There's a, always a really nice balance between academics and the social emotional side that that little guys need to then be ready to be full students by the time they enter into first grade. And so I think that's something that rural has done a great job on, and it's something that our colleagues can across the state could learn from is what's going on in small rural schools on far as far as how do they balance well, the I, academics. Yeah, I
3: think. part of that goes back to relationships and when we're talking about what opportunities can we offer our youngest students I think a really strong foundation because there are those adults that are so connected to those kids we watch them walk in the door as preschool kids and follow them all the way until they're graduating seniors Um, but everyone knows everyone and so we're really able to support kids in a way that is really nurturing and caring Um, there's a great uh, promising practices video that um, highlights the work of the North Conejo School District where they're talking about just providing that really um, caring environment for kids and making sure that every student has a staff member that they can have a relationship with, that can be their trusted adult that they can go to, but also involving kids and owning all of that as well. Um, So, you know, everyone might want want to check that out on the CDE website. It's the Promising practice Promising Practices series, Um, but it's definitely, I think, for our youngest students about getting a really strong foundation, having relationships, and then thinking about lots of different opportunities. I know um, rural schools can be really flexible, and they can... um, they can do implementation faster than a lot of the larger counterparts because there's, you know, there aren't lots of departments to go through. Um, And so basically decisions can be made really quickly. And if we have a group of students that wants to do this, then you're, um, you know, the only thing that might be limiting you could be resources. But um, I know all of the adults um, definitely want to find a way to make it work. Um, So that's definitely an advantage as well. Awesome. Um I, I wanna I wanna maybe
1: bust a myth here. Um I think there might be some train of thought that um rural schools are less than. Hmm. Um and simply not true. I'm aware of that. You all are aware of that. Um but what what kind of uh statistics can we provide that rural schools aren't less
3: than? We're on we're on the playing field, we're here we're coming for jobs. Well, I I think that's one of the main reasons why we wanted to do this podcast. Um, There are definitely some misconceptions about what it's like to be in a rural setting, what it's like to be in a rural school. And I think that's part of the reason why we want to redefine that for everyone. Um, And part of getting the word out and just highlighting all of the work that's being done um, when you're actually there in that environment and you're seeing kids um, doing just what they would be doing on the front range. Um, then you're definitely, you definitely know that rural is not less than. <laughs> um, so as far as statistics go, I think we could go in lots of different directions and talk about lots of different things. Um, but I think, um, I think people really need to just become more aware and, and be able to experience what's happening. Um, yeah, there was someone the other day that made this comment about, um being in a rural school is kind of like a private school because the, the numbers are so small. The end sizes are small. We have um, smaller class, uh, class sizes and those types of things, and um, uh, more teachers per student. And so I definitely think there are lots of misconceptions. Um, I'm not even sure where to start with that one as far as all the different statistics. Sorry for
1: being so broad. Yeah, <laughs> um, Perhaps your favorite
3: statistic as we are running low on time.
2: <laughs> I look to the department for the statistics.
3: Yeah, I can maybe pull down some data about what you know what is happening out there. But as far as access, um, all of our schools generally have the same type of access um, to technology. Um, Implementing all of the same types of programming. You know, I think we go back to that issue about capacity and you, people are doing lots of different jobs. They're um, taking on multiple roles, but we, we always find a way to make it work. And so, mm, you know... That's
2: I, that's rural, right? Yeah,
3: that is rural. And I was just going to say, I think it goes back to what we talked about at the beginning. Everyone's heart is so connected to this work. People will do whatever it takes. And I think one of the uh, misconceptions as well could be just um, there is no template to operate a a rural school district or a rural school. Everyone does it a little bit differently. Um, And so I think, you know, that's something that people don't realize. Things can be done very differently. All of our districts have very creative ways of tackling the obstacles that they have. Um, But definitely, yeah, there are some misconceptions that um, we definitely want to make sure that we're talking about in our next episodes and, and just showcasing all of that great work that's happening out there in the field.
1: Oh, 100%. Uh, in these last couple minutes, one of my favorite things that I like to do with people that are in education uh, is ask them what they wanted to be when they grew up, when
2: they were <laughs> little.
1: Um, so I'm going to start here with you.
2: I wanted to be a teacher. We yeah? played school all the time.
3: Yeah. What kind of teacher?
2: Elementary school. Okay. Right on.
3: Daniil? For me, I, I don't, I don't know that I had one thing that I just want. I wanted to be
2: everything. I mean,
3: um, I don't. Maybe that's part <laughs> of growing surprised. up rural because you do everything, you know. But I, I remember wanting to be a veterinarian. Well, she is
2: like a master whore. I feel like we have to tell them. I don't even know what to say. She's like, a, you're not a cowgirl. You're like a. Well, show. I am a cowgirl. I She's guess. a cowgirl at heart, right? But like a show, she competes. I yeah, I do yeah. show
3: horses. I've shown horses my entire life. Um, and recently in the past couple of years, got back into that since my kids are a little bit bigger now. So that's definitely, um, yeah, maybe I, I wanted to be a vet. I mean, I could probably go for the horse trainer route if I wanted to. Um, <laughs> but also, I also wanted to be in broadcasting. I wanted to be the president. <laughs> I mean, there's still lots of, there's still the lots of different <laughs> things. Lots of different multiple pathways. We'll just put it that way. Awesome. Kirk? Okay?
0: Um, so I would say I I like Michelle. Always, the path was to be in education. Uh, I had a family. I came from a family of educators. But I think the other one was to be a professional skier. Wow. So yes, yeah. I, I I went to my fallback, which was a much better <laughs> plan to B. Go.
1: Plan B is plan B is work out for yes. a lot of people. I love hearing that. Thank you all so very much for joining me. I think this is going to be a great series, and I'm ready to tackle these challenges head on with you guys this week. Well. Uh, so, again, this is Redefining the Rural with Michelle Murphy, Kirk Benghart, and Danielle LeBlanc. Thank you all so much for joining me. It's been a
2: pleasure.